Welcome to Writer's Radio, which broadcasts the beautiful, fanciful, and engaging work of talented writers from our neighborhood and yours. I'm Ingrid Rose, your host for this program featuring Smoke and Mirrors by Sheila Martineau. Smoke and Mirrors is a chapter from Sheila's memoir in progress, which she has adapted for this reading. What stands out for me in this story you're about to hear is resilience. Being on the alert often gives a young person a keen eye for detail. In Smoke and Mirrors, the events take place on a Saturday in 1959. Though most of Sheila's Saturdays followed the same pattern, this one takes an unforeseen turn. Sheila is 14 years old, she has three brothers, and she calls her parents by their first names, Frank and Shirley. A typical Saturday. After breakfast, I hop in the car with Shirley. She drives at high speed up and down the hills, grips a cigarette in the corner of her mouth, one hand on the steering wheel, the other hand switching gears, flinging her arm across my chest to keep me from going through the windshield every time she hits the brakes. She drops me at my piano lesson, does the grocery shopping, and drives me home. While she refreshes her hair and makeup and changes her clothes, I put the groceries away and make lunch for everyone, after which she drives my brothers to their sports activities and makes a beeline downtown to her job managing a matinee box office, but not before she recites my instructions on her way down the stairs and out the door. Don't forget to vacuum under the table, and this time don't leave anything in the dryer, and on and on, as if I didn't know. Saturday afternoons, I'm alone with Frank. But while I'm cleaning the house and doing the laundry, if he isn't badgering or belittling me, I take time to peer over his shoulder when he's working in his art studio, where he is calm and I am safe. Later, in the middle of ironing his shirts, I might take a break and watch from the stair landing as he rehearses in the front hall mirror for that night's magic show. But on alert, to get to the kitchen quick and grab the steam iron if necessary. On this Saturday, Mrs. V has called to cancel my babysitting job. I phoned my best friend Jay right away, and we plotted a sleepover at her house, meaning that a direct invitation from her mother to mine was my only hope of ever getting a yes to anything. Shirley arrived home around five with my brothers in tow. She rushed up the stairs to remove her makeup and nail polish and to pin her hair up in spit curls. 
Frank packed his magic props in the car and tidied up his studio. He leapt up the stairs as I was going down with the boys' shirts, and he bumped into me on purpose and tried to grope me, and I cringed, and he smacked me. Stop it! Leave me alone! You better hope you did a good job today, he sneered. Empty the iron and put the board away, Shirley shouted from the bathroom. As if I had to be told. Frank showered and shaved and relaxed in the magic den with his smokes and newspapers. Shirley changed into her peach-colored silk robe and settled at the kitchen table to polish her fingernails. I turned the oven on and started supper for me and my brothers. Her manicure, my meatloaf. We worked in lockstep. She clipped and filed and polished, leaving her half-moons visible and finessing her cuticles with the tip of her nail file. Standing across from her, I measured, seasoned, chopped, and diced. I cracked an egg in a small bowl and was breaking the yolk with a fork when she barked, Bloody hell, you have to beat the egg, not stir it! As if I'd never made meatloaf. I strangled the ground beef mixture with my bare hands and packed it into its tin casket and smothered the top with blood-red ketchup and thought about killing her. I moved to the sink where I scrubbed the potatoes raw and poked their eyes out and stabbed them to death with the meat fork. I turned to put the meatloaf and the potatoes in the oven. A player's mild was dangling from the corner of her mouth. I nudged her chair in passing, and the ash on her smoke fell to the table. I put my ingredients away and wiped the table and countertop while she was blowing her nails dry, flipping through a new women's magazine and tapping her fingertips on the table, first one hand and then the other, a symphony of distractions. Four beats to the bar, a tick since childhood. took the first step toward getting to Jay's house. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Mrs. V cancelled babysitting today. Well, good. You can put in an hour of piano practice after you clean up. Lord God only knows you need it. Oh, yeah, I thought. I'll be at Jay's house. We'll paint our nails and stay up late and read her mum's true confession magazines. The phone rang right on schedule. Frank answered and called Shirley into the den. Knowing it was Jay's mum and my ticket to her house, I was civil toward the carrots, peeling and slicing them with the paring knife and covering them in a pot of cold water. Things were going my way. On top of the happy prospect of a sleepover at Jay's, I'd scored an extra long butt. You see, whenever Shirley's hands were too occupied to smoke and flick the ash, during a manicure, say, or while she was tapping or cooking or sewing or driving, the ever-present, always-dangling cigarette would do a slow burn to the halfway point, by which time either the smoke got in her eyes, or the ash fell, or both, and she'd stub it out, leaving a generous smoke for my secret stash. With a slight nudge to table or chair, the precarious ash might even fall a few seconds sooner. I followed Shirley into the bathroom and gazed at her in the mirror as she applied face cream and foundation, rouged her cheeks and powdered her nose, brushed smoky blue shadow on her eyelids and inky blue mascara on her lashes, 
finishing with two coats of magenta lipstick to match her nail polish. She blotted her lips, and I flushed the tissues. Why can't I wear lipstick like the other girls my age? Oh, for Christ's sake, Sheila, not this again. Our eyes met in the mirror and flickered away like animals, like enemies. My friends are allowed to, so why can't I? She twisted her face into a grimace and spit out her words. Oh, so you can prance around like some cheap little schoolgirl hussy while performing her stupid little dip-and-spin hussy dance. I collected the bobby pins while she unraveled her curls. She brushed her thick, shoulder-length hair into soft waves and pinned the sides up high with her antique hair combs. I love your hair that way. She smiled and dabbed Chanel number no. 5 behind her ears and rubbed it on her wrists and checked herself in the mirror. You look beautiful. I wished I could have a pretty slip. I wished I could have a pretty silk robe like that. I'll pack my pajamas and toothbrush right after supper, and you can drop me at Jay's house on your way to the club. I knew better than to pose a sleepover as a question, but Frank overheard and cast his usual bait and hook anyway, shouting from his den, The answer is no. What's the question? To which Shirley added, in no uncertain terms, young lady, you're not going anywhere. But Jay's mom invited me for a sleepover, and she's making a special breakfast. A sleepover? With that girl? And then what? Breakfast with the Queen of England? There's no reason why I can't go. You don't have a reason. You have to have a reason. What's your reason? Because you're not going anywhere. How's that for a reason? Besides... You've got piano practice tonight and church in the morning. Nothing in that house ever made sense to me. My mistake was staying in the kitchen to peel the carrots instead of following her into the den so she couldn't lie to Jay's mom. I boiled the carrots and set the table and called my brothers. Meatloaf again? They barked like a pack of jackals. It's not my choice, idiots. My smart-ass older brother, his fist raised, came at me. You're so stupid. Don't you know how to do anything? Shut up. He flicked his fist in my face and punched me in the shoulder and twisted my arms up behind my back and forced me in agony to the floor. Typical. My younger brother's laughing and pointing at me, which somehow launched them into a fist fight. All of us, hitting and hollering, Frank bellowing from the bedroom, Quiet! The whole goddamn bunch of you! Shirley marching into the kitchen. Everybody, shut up and sit down. Where are my cigarettes? TV off at nine and straight to your rooms. Do you hear me, boys? Sheila, anybody listening? She was wearing one of her satin slips, the one with lace trim, the color of cream against her skin, smooth as caramel. I wished I could have a pretty slip like that. The whole goddamn bunch of us slumped into our seats. My brothers gobbled their suppers. I gagged on mine. They gulped their milk. I gagged on mine. 
I sliced and served the ice cream, each slab the exact same size to prevent a holy war. Frank emerged from the bedroom first, dressed for his magic act at the club, circling through the kitchen, blowing smoke rings, pacing the hall, dapper in his black tails and white spats, top hat in hand. Soon enough, Shirley swished into the hall, and he let out a long, slow whistle. You've got a beautiful mother, kids. I rushed from the table to see her. All copper-colored hair and movie star eyes, she twirled in the full-length mirror to show off her new dress, the one with the fitted black jersey bodice and the flared white cotton skirt printed with giant black-eyed daisies and lemon-yellow petals. She cinched her waist with a wide patent leather belt and wore chunky black and white jewelry and open-toed high heels. A vision forever etched in my memory. He waltzed her to the top of the stairs, and in that moment, I saw something I must have already known. Beauty masking cruelty. Charm cloaking brutality. Abracadabra. Now you see it, and now you don't. And off they went, hand in hand, Saturday night at the Cave Supper Club. I followed my terrible beauties to the front door and waved them away, as I'd done hundreds of times before. First, I called Jay to console myself. Second, I cleaned up the kitchen. Third, I settled in the living room, preferring to browse through Shirley's magazines than to goddamn watch television downstairs with my brothers or to bloody hell practice piano on a Saturday night. Time passed. The nine o'clock gun boomed across the harbor. Soon enough, the house quieted down. A rare evening to myself at home. I crept barefoot down the hall and into my mother's bathroom. I studied my blotchy skin in the mirror and opened her makeup drawer, applied foundation and rouged and powdered my face, brushed on eyeshadow and blotted two coats of lipstick. The hall light ushered me into their bedroom. Her jewelry box sat open on the dresser. The upper tray held her earrings, which shimmered even in the dim light with gemstones, metallics, and enamels. I chose the shiny fuchsia clip-ons, and from the lower tray a choker chain of polished pink squares. The chain was caught on a narrow ribbon at the bottom of the box, a slight tug, and it opened a hidden compartment. Inside were a half-dozen Polaroids Frank had taken of Shirley posing naked on their bed. Ha! Better than any true confession magazines. Proof they were still in love, no doubt. And payback, I decided for all the times she'd trashed my bedroom while I was at school, emptying and dumping my drawers on the floor, stripping my bed and upending my mattress, and after school, ordering my misery to clean up her rage. I returned the photos to their hiding place and crossed the room, to sit at her vanity table, to stare at my painted face in the mirror, to put on her earrings and matching necklace, to open the little drawer to rake her tortoise comb through my oily, stringy hair, almost at its worst, because I was only allowed to shower and shampoo on Sunday nights. 
I tiptoed to her closet and inched open the sliding door. Moving the hangers aside, one by one, I stopped at the pale pink sundress she'd made with the sweetheart neckline and the shoestring shoulder straps. Placing her slingbacks under the dress, I crouched and stepped into the shoes and rose inside the dress until my head touched the hanger. The bodice covered my face and shoulders and the skirt fell around my arms and body. I stood in her closet, stood in her dress, stood in her shoes. I smelled her presence, a stale mix of smoke and perfume. Long gone was the little girl who could float away on her magic carpet, across oceans and over mountains, to heal her wounds with piano music and daydreams. Only recurring nightmares now. Terrified, flying at jet speed inside a windowless black box with no way out. Terrorized by the father who wants to harm her. And frantic, falling forever into a bottomless black pit with nothing to grab onto. Screaming for the mother who does not hear her. How did I end up in this house? With these people? Why am I here? Time passed. The ten o'clock freight train whistled its arrival along the bottom of the hill, the familiar rhythm of boxcars shunting along the tracks, clanging and banging, steel against steel, leaving behind only distance and silence. My head was trembling, my neck was stiff, my feet hurt and I stepped down. Only the mirrors saw me, on the vanity above the dresser over the sink in the hall. A shadow moving in the shadows, leaving things as they were, closing the vanity, returning her jewelry, removing my makeup. I lifted Shirley's robe from its hook in the bathroom and wrapped myself in its peachy, silky aura. With only the hall light to go by, I sashayed my way into the living room and opened the piano bench where I kept my stash of half-sized smokes. Under the cover of sheet music, I selected a few ritzy stubs collected not only from the kitchen, but also from the ashtrays inside her stick-shift convertible and beside her zigzag sewing machine. I positioned myself on the love seat, diagonal to the mirror hanging above the piano and across from the window facing the street. I'm feeling fancy. Not the neighborhood babysitter tonight, smuggling my smokes in and brooding late at night in someone else's house. I straighten and smooth the precious stubs, careful not to tear their fragile papers, selecting a cork tip tattooed with her lipstick I raise it to my lips, flick the lighter on, and breathe in. Like a model in a magazine ad, I cross my calves, feet together, toes pointed. One elbow perched just so on the teak armrest, an elegant extension of wrist and hand, cigarette posed high as a prize between index and middle finger. Like an actress on a movie screen, 
the gentle sway of my wrist and a slow upward tilt of the chin as I inhale and exhale in a smoky reverie. That young girl in the peach-colored robe, who is she? How did, how did she end up in that house with those people? It's past midnight. I keep one eye on the mirror, one eye on the window. Headlights turn the corner onto our dead-end street. Hide the ashtray, hang up the robe, vault down the stairs. Time to disappear. Abracadabra. Abracadabra, indeed. Not everything is as it seems, and some of us are fortunate enough to glean unique gifts from very difficult circumstances. You've been listening to Smoke and Mirrors, a chapter from Sheila Martineau's memoir in progress. To learn more about Sheila's design and editing work and her publications, go to her website, sheilamartineau.com. I'm Ingrid Rose, your host for this Writer's Radio program. My appreciation to my co-producers, Carol Harmon, who also hosts and creates our podcast notes, and to Gary Sill, who provides us with his wonderfully attuned music. You have been listening to Writer's Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada. Traditional tribal land of the Shishel Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship. Thank you.